God is good, isn't he? What a blessing it is to uh, have already been in the worship with the saints. and uh, It's refreshing to me to be in the presence of God in praise and worship. Isn't it you? I enjoy that. I long for that. I need that. And if I don't have it, I feel like I'm missing something. See, I, I come to church because I don't want to miss out on what God has for me. A lot of people say, well, brothers, you've got to come to church because you're the pastor. Oh, no. God can get by just fine without me. <laughs> See, I come to church because I want to experience all he has. I want to worship him for he alone is worthy. Can you say amen? And that's what makes this time together so powerful when we come together for the purpose of honoring and glorifying the Lord Jesus. And that's what's happened today. It's been so good already uh, to be here in the worship with the saints. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Matthew chapter number 5. That's what we'll look at um, in just a moment. Um, and while you're finding that, you keep your place there. And I'm going to read to you a passage of Scripture. Brother, if you will, please put this on the screen for me in the book of James. James chapter number uh, 4, and we'll look at verses 13 through 16. You look in Matthew 5, find your place there. We'll get back to it in just a moment. And I want to read to you James 4. Now, today I'm going to be speaking to you on the subject of the power of purpose. The power of purpose. Listen what James chapter 4, starting in verse number 13, tells us. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So at first glance at this passage of scripture, you may think that James somehow is against you making plans for your future. I don't think he's saying that at all. Uh, I want to quote Dave Ramsey, if you'll allow me to. He, he says that those who fail to plan, plan to fail. And that's really good. That's really good advice. That's true. There's nothing wrong with planning for your future. Nothing wrong with making plans in your family, plans um, in your job, you know, plans for your future financially. Nothing wrong with any of that. But I think what James is saying, there's nothing wrong with making a plan for you and yours but there is something wrong with making a plan without consulting God and his will. Because look at the next verse, verse number 15. He says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will, have, we will live and do this or do that. So there's nothing wrong with making plans, but we shouldn't be making plans contrary to the will of God. Or without consulting God for what his will is. See, for the child of God... For the Christ follower, we are constantly, continually seeking God's will for our life. Let me tell you why. Because God's will is the best way. Can you say amen? He knows what I need much better than I know what I need. He knows me better than I know myself. He knows past, present, and future, everything that is going to take place with me and with others. And so if, I, and listen to me now, the good news is he loves me better than anybody can love me. So the one who loves me best knows me best. And so I ought to be seeking his will for my life for his will is the best way. 
Not only that, but listen, we seek the will of God as Christ's followers because he is Lord. It's not about what I want, it's what he wants. There have been certain times in my life when I wanted to do certain things, go in a certain direction. And God said, no, you can't do that. I mean, he, he made it plain to me that wasn't what he wanted in my life. And then I have a choice to make. Either I'm going to do my thing or I'm going to do his. And we all come to those certain crossroads in our life. Each and every, each and every one of us as Christ followers. We must make a decision continually and constantly to be in the will of God. To do what God wants. Amen. And so James is not against making plans. He's just against making plans contrary to the will of God. I think the key verse that ties all of this together is really verse number 14. Watch how I put it there in the 14th verse of James chapter 4. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. So I want to focus on just one word in that verse is the word vapor. The word vapor, uh, the, the English word vapor that we get from the original Greek language in the original, it speaks of the mist that arises on a foggy morning. That's what it's talking about. Well, we've all experienced that, man. You're on your way to work or to school or to wherever you're going, and, um, and there's fog all over the roads, hard to see. And it's almost like the moment that sun begins to come up over the horizon, it'll burn off. Uh, just in a matter of, of seconds, it'll be gone. And, and that's the picture James is painting. He says, that's how your life is. You're just like that mist. You're just like that fog. You're here one minute, you're gone the next. William Shakespeare said it like this in his play um, Hamlet, he, or excuse me, uh, Macbeth. He said, a player, a poor player, struts and frets his hour upon a stage and then is no more. Man, that's right. That's all of us. We strut and fret our hour, our scene, our play, our life for just a short time and then it's gone. It's over. The older I've gotten, the more I've realized just how quickly time passes. Didn't seem that way when I was younger. I remember when I was a little boy, I couldn't wait to get to where I could drive. Man, I, I had to get to 16, and I, I wanted to be, have a little freedom and do my own thing and have my own car, and I, I wanted to be 16. Then when I got to be 16, then I wanted to be 18. Then when I got to be 18, I wanted to be out of the house. And I, there were certain milestones in my life that I was always wanting to get to, and it seemed like it never came. But then, as I've gotten older, I look back and wonder where the time has gone. Our life is truly but a vapor. It's passing by so quickly. And what James is saying, we don't know what to, is going to happen tomorrow. All of these plans that we sometimes make, sometimes they come to pass if it be God's will, and sometimes it won't. I don't know what tomorrow holds. Can you say amen? <laughs> Nor do you know what tomorrow holds. None of us do. The truth is, all of us are one heartbeat from eternity. Life can be gone in the blink of an eye, at the beat of the heart. It's a vapor. So why am I preaching this to you? Why am I sharing this message today? Well, my purpose is twofold. Number one, if you're here this morning and you've not yet trusted in Christ as your personal Savior, been born again into the family of God, you need to realize today is the day of salvation. I've talked to so many people and they say things like, 
this. I'll be witnessing to them or inviting them to come to church. They'll say, now, Pastor, I ain't ready for all that. Preacher, I know what you're saying is true, but you know what? I'm just not ready to make that decision in my life. Now, when I get ready, I'm going to get in there and I'm going to get after it. And I'm going to do my thing. And man, it's, it's going to be something to see. And, but folks, we don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't and you don't. You don't need to wait to next month, next year to trust in Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Seek the Lord while he may be found because your life is but a vapor. You are one heartbeat away from standing before the Lord. And I want, to, I want you to understand you need Jesus. I'm begging with you. I'm pleading with you. Today, trust in Christ. Listen, repent of your sins and turn to him so that you might be saved. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe it, say amen this morning. If he can save me, folks, he can save you. I don't know who you are, where you've been, what you've done, but I'll tell you this, the grace of God is available for you if you'll receive it. So that's, that's one purpose. But our next purpose is, if you are a child of God, are you fulfilling the purpose God has saved you for? Because how do you know all of us have purpose? Everybody in this place, whether you're a child of God or whether you're not, you have purpose. The lost person, if you're here and you're today and you're lost, you don't know the Lord, you have purpose, you just can't realize it until you know Jesus personally. But you have purpose in the kingdom of God so that God can use you to impact others. For the child of God, you certainly already know God wants to use you to impact the world through his kingdom. You have purpose. You are not just meat machines brought about by random chance in the evolutionary process. I don't even like saying process because it's never been proven. It's a theory. They teach it as truth, but it's a theory. It's an idea. It's a concept of what they think might have happened. I believe you are created by God with purpose. All of us. Each and every one of us. Folks, listen to me. God wants to use you daily for his honor and his glory in this world. And there's nothing like being used to the Lord. Nothing compares to Him. We already sang about it this morning. So what is our purpose? Well, I'm glad you asked because Jesus outlines for us in the book of Matthew chapter 5 what our purpose truly is. It uses two great illustrations being the master teacher. First of all, He says in verse number 13 of, of Matthew chapter number 5 that we are the salt of the earth. And then He says in verse number 14, that we are the light of the world. And so what I want to do for the next two weeks is split this message in half. We're going to talk about the power of purpose this week and the power of purpose next week, and I want to take these two illustrations. First of all, I want to talk to you about what verse 13 says, what it means that Jesus called us the salt of the earth. All right, let's just read the scripture there, verse 13. I'm going to pray for you. And we'll come back and I'll give you three main points and I'm done. Look what he says. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under 
the foot of men. Let's pray together. Father, again, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Thank you, Lord, for the great opportunity that you've given me to stand before your Bible and preach your truth to these people. Lord, I can do nothing effectively on my own. Uh, Lord, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you today. I'm desperate for your work in my life. Lord, I'm praying that you would use me as your mouthpiece to speak your truth by your power. For these things I pray in Jesus' name and for your honor and glory. Amen. What does it mean to be uh, salt of the earth? That's what Jesus calls us here. That's what Jesus spoke to them people then, but this certainly speaks to us today. I heard something one time about a story about a little boy who came to his mama. And he said, Mama, um, if I am good today, will you give me a dollar? And she said, Son, won't you be like your daddy and be good for nothing? Now listen, what we don't need today, what we can't have today is a bunch of saltless Christians. We don't need Christians who are good for nothing. But Jesus makes it plain, we who are the salt of the earth, if we lose our saltiness, then we're good for nothing. So what does it mean when Jesus uses the illustration of that we are the salt of the earth? Well, there's three things that I want you to see. First of all, I want you to see the duty of salt. For us to understand why Jesus made the illustration that he made about us being the salt of the earth, first of all, we've got to understand the importance of salt in that day. In the day in which Jesus lived, in the day in which he walked the earth, salt was more valuable than gold. It was the number one trading commodity in all of the world. As a matter of fact, the English word that we get salary from um, in the old original language actually means salt money. And so that shows you just how important just how valuable salt really was. You've probably heard the old saying, that man is not worth his salt, or that woman is worth her salt. Well, that's what they're talking about. They're worth the money that they're getting paid. In that day and in this day, salt was a very valuable commodity. As a matter of fact, right now in the world we live in, the most traded commodity on the face of the earth is salt. Everybody still uses salt. Man, it's very important for the day in which we live, but was certainly important for the day in which Jesus lived. So what is the duty of salt? What makes it so important? Because, listen, what it does makes it important for all of us. Well, the first thing salt I know does is it's salt seasons. Would you agree with that? Let me tell you what I did just last night. Just last night, I enjoyed one of the great blessings of summer. There's a lot of great blessings of summer that I enjoy. It's probably uh, my second favorite season of the year. I like fall, then I like summer, but I, I enjoy my summertime. And one of the things that I love about summer is fresh, cold, sweet watermelon. How about y'all? Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't know that you could get much better than fresh, cold, sweet watermelon until I tried something years ago. You take you some salt and put on that fresh, cold, sweet watermelon. I'm going to tell you, that's the best thing you ever put in your mouth. Why? Because salt seasons and makes things better. Can you say amen to that? Put your little salt on your scrambled eggs, see what happens. It changes the whole taste of everything. Salt seasons and gives flavor to what it's put upon, to what it's salted on. Let me give you a verse of scripture. Job chapter number 6. And verse number six, watch what Job says about the duty of salt and salt seasoning. Job six and six, can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Well, that's a good question, can it? For some of us, it can't. <laughs> maybe if we're struggling with some high blood pressure, maybe you can. But 
But usually we eat salt to cause food to taste better, to season it. And then it says, can flavorless food be eaten without salt or is there any taste in the white of an egg? What Job is saying, you need a little salt to make that egg taste better, right? Salt seasons. In the book of Colossians, chapter number four and verse number six, the apostle Paul says something to the church at Colossae that we need to know at Mount Zion. He commands them to let their speech be seasoned with salt. What does he mean by that? He means that the child of God ought to flavor things up in the world they live in. There ought to be some zest of life in us that the world takes note of. Now, let me tell you what I know, what I believe with everything in me. Most of the people that you're going to go to work with tomorrow are not excited about whether or not they're going to heaven or going to hell. Let me tell you what they're excited about, what they're worried about, what they're trying to do. They're just trying to make it through Monday. They're living tasteless, flavorless, boring lives. Most of them are, and I can tell that by the attitude they possess, by the smile that's never on their face. Now, what Paul is saying when he says that our speech is to be seasoned with salt, what Jesus was saying when he says we are the salt of the earth, he's telling us that we are to add some flavor to the circles that we run in. Why? Because we, as the people of God, have been forgiven of our sin. Can you say amen? We, as the people of God, have a home in heaven. Can you say amen? Folks, do you realize no matter what happens, if you're a child of God, you've got a home in heaven? Hey, you may get sick physically, but praise God, you've been healed spiritually. You may lose your life physically, but listen, for the child of God, you've got eternal life, spiritually speaking. Listen, you may not be able to pay your power bill next month, but you're still going to heaven. Amen? No matter what happens, no matter what you face in your life, they may give you a pink slip at work, but guess what? If you're a child of God, they can't take heaven from you. We've got something to smile about each and every day. And the good news is, even in the midst of those dark times, when you lose your job or you get a bad report at the doctor or certain situations and circumstances arise that you can't control, whether it was your fault or somebody else's, listen, even in those times, God, by His grace, will still allow you to walk in joy and have peace. Peace that passes all understanding. So no matter what we're facing, we can walk around with a smile on our face in the joy of the Lord, living by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we've got some flavor to us. Amen? We've got a zest for life because we know the creator of life. That's how it ought to be. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, you are the salt that seasons. Amen? Oh, they will. And listen, if you're living out your faith, if you're walking in the power of the Spirit, if you're living in the joy of the Lord, I can promise you a lost and dying world's going to take note and they're going to want what you've got. Salt provides some seasoning for the circles you run in. That's the way it should be. So not only does salt season, but let me give you another one that I know salt does. Salt preserves. 
It preserves. Now, when Jesus spoke this message, he's speaking it there on the, uh, on, on, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, and the mount that he's on is right by the Sea of Galilee. And so the crowd that he's speaking to, not just the ones that were in his inner circle, the original disciples, many of them were fishermen, but also in the crowd that he was speaking to there, there had to be a lot of fishermen. Had to be. That was a fishing community. That's how people made their living. And so they would have known full well what Jesus was talking about when he said, you are the salt of the earth. Because these fishermen um, in the day that go out and work all day long from morning till evening time catching the fish and then they'd bring back what they caught. And when they brought it back, they didn't have refrigeration then. So what they would do was put it up in the market and cover all their catch with salt. Now what would that salt do? It would provide, listen, a, a, a barrier against corruption and decay so that the fish they caught could be sold at the market. That's what salt does. It preserves. It preserves. Let me tell you something, folks. If there's ever been a time that we need the preserving work of the saltiness of blood-bought, born-again Christ followers, it's right now. If there's ever been a time that we need children of God that will call right, right, and wrong, wrong, it's right now. If there's ever been a time that we need children of God who offer grace to others, the same grace that's been extended to us, if there's ever been a time that we need that, it's right now because we need some preservation in the world that we live in. Listen, sin is polluting and decaying the world we live in at a rapid pace. If you don't believe me, just turn on your news. Read your newspaper. Go to work tomorrow. You're going to see just how sin has polluted and decayed the world that we live in day by day. Jesus said you are to be the salt that acts as a preserving factor, the one who still calls right, right, and wrong, wrong. The one who still loves God, loves people. The one who still offers grace and grace to you. Salt seasons, but salt preserves. Let me tell you something else salt does. Salt irritates, would you agree? Let me tell you how I know that. You get a little ulcer in your mouth and you fix you a tomato and cheese sandwich. Put you a lot of salt on it with pepper, which is, praise God, one of the best meals you ever have in your life. Some good old fresh sunbeam bread, a little bit of mayonnaise, cheese, two slices of tomato, big old thick slices, salt and pepper. I could eat the whole loaf of bread. Love it. Let me tell you what I don't love. You have a little ulcer in your mouth, a little cut on your mouth, and get some of that salt in that cut. You have a little, listen to me now, you have a little uh, cut on your hand and get salt in that cut and see what happens. It irritates. It irritates. Now listen, what's Jesus saying for us then if he calls us the salt of the earth? He said our stand that we take and the life that we live will irritate a lost and dying world. Let me tell you why that is. Because darkness hates light. Amen? And, and, and darkness is always going to be against light. The stands we take, 
The lost and dying world are not going to lack. Now, we shouldn't be surprised at that. Jesus said that's exactly what was going to happen many years ago. He said, if they've hated me, they will hate you also. If they've persecuted me, they will persecute you also. For the servant cannot be greater than the master. They don't persecute us because of who we are, but because of whose we are as we live out our faith in a dark world. Amen? So, salt is going to irritate certain areas of the society that we live in if we're really being salty, if we're really being what God has called us to be, if we're really fulfilling the purpose that he's called us to to fulfill. Now, let me tell you what I fear happens today, and I never want this to happen here at Mount Zion. I think what's happening for for us today, um, and and to a large degree, is is the church has become salt warehouses. And, And so what we do, we come into places like this and we sit around and salt one another. Now, how many of you know, the Bible says, Jesus said, you are, he didn't say you are the salt of the church, did he? He said, you are the salt of the world. Now, what does that mean? Yeah, we get a hold of truth in here. Yeah, we get a hold of what God says in here. But if we don't take it out there, how can it make a difference in the world we live in? You say, oh, no, brother, if I go out there and make a stand, it's going to make people mad. Yes, sometimes it will. Let me tell you what I found out in preaching the gospel. A lot of times people get irritated when you tell them they're a sinner standing in need of a Savior. Why? When you're not adhering to the standard of truth, then truth will irritate you. Salt irritates. A lot of times it's not popular when you've got to tell somebody what they're doing is wrong. It's not popular when somebody tells me what I'm doing is wrong. Why? Salt irritates. But if those, there is no irritation, then you're not going to know where the problem is. How did you know ulcer in your mouth is? Well, you, that salt touched it. How did you find that little cut on your hand you didn't know you had? Well, that salt touched it. It irritated where irritation was needed. And that's what we're supposed to be. You said, brother, what's that mean? We just go out and, 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 and just downgrade people and, uh, and, and sit on our spiritual high horse and look down at everybody else and let everybody know how holy. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is speaking truth in love. What I'm talking about is meeting people where they are. Listen to me now. What I'm talking about is sharing the gospel, the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our mission as the salt of the earth. Yeah, it's going to irritate in some places, but where it irritates it, where it irritates, irritation is needed. Amen? Salt seasons. Salt preserves. Salt irritates. Let me give you another one. Salt heals. Do you know that? Do you know years ago what they would do when babies were born? before we've got the modern medicine that we have now, they would actually give the babies a saline bath. They'd they'd wash them down with salt. And what that did was prevent infection after that baby had just come into the world. Do you remember in 2 Kings chapter number 2, I think it is, where Elijah 
came to a spring of water that was bitter, and he took a cruise of salt, or a container of salt, poured it in the water, and that which was bitter became blessed. Salt is an antiseptic. It has healing properties. So if Jesus says we are the salt of the earth, what does he mean by that? Well, he means we're to be healers. Amen. Now what does it mean that we are to be healers? Well, it means, you say, brother, does it mean we heal people physically? Absolutely. No doubt about it. If we can help people get better physically, that's what we need to do. Listen, there's people all around you that are struggling uh, with certain physical things that you can help in the everyday task that they need. Can you say amen to that? You can take some of the burden off them. You can help them get better physically. You can pray for them that God brings healing to their body. Amen. How many of y'all believe that we still serve a God who, who is in the healing business? How many of y'all believe what the Bible says in 1 John 5, 14, that we can be confident that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us? How many believe that he's still Jehovah Rapha? He hears the prayers of his people and he's still able to heal. So yeah, we ought to be about physical healing. No doubt about that. What about some emotional healing? How many know there's a lot of people struggling emotionally? Listen, sometimes for all of us, life sneaks up behind us and jerks that rug right out from under our feet. We fall flat on our face and we wonder which end is up. Sometimes we jerk the rug out from under ourselves by bad decisions and bad choices. Sometimes, regardless of what we've done, maybe what somebody else has done, the rug gets jerked out. But certain situations and circumstances cause us great heartache and pain. I'm talking about discouragement. I'm talking about depression. I'm talking about just ready to give up and quit and be done with it all. It's in those times when people are hurting emotionally that we can be healers. He said, brother, how am I going to do it? Well, I'll tell you what some people need. They need a friend. Amen? I gave you some definitions of friendship in Wednesday night Bible study. Some of you heard it. Some of you didn't because you wouldn't at Wednesday night Bible study. Does that make sense? We still have in Wednesday night Bible study. You know what? The same God that's with us on Sunday morning is with us on Wednesday night. The same truth that we hear on Sunday morning, we hear it on Wednesday night. What am I trying to say to you? Get involved in Bible study. Well, let me give you one of the definitions I gave for friendship just a few weeks ago in our Wednesday night Bible study. A friend is someone who comes towards you when everybody else is going away from you. Amen? That's good stuff. People who are struggling emotionally sometimes need a friend. It seems as though everybody else has gone away. Maybe you can be the one who comes close. People who are struggling with pain that life has caused sometimes just need somebody to listen to them. Amen? How many of you can be a listening ear to somebody? Somebody who's struggling emotionally, some of them just need a shoulder to cry on. And how many of you know, you can be that shoulder to cry on. 
We can bring healing to people emotionally as the salt of the earth. We can bring healing to people spiritually, praise the Lord, as the salt of the earth. How? By preaching this glorious gospel. Folks, I want to tell you something. There's a lot of people who can preach the gospel better than me, but there's nobody who can preach a better gospel. The gospel makes the difference. Amen? Whether it's coming from you, from me, or from anybody else, we are to go out and share the love of Jesus. Listen to me now. With our lips, yes, but first of all, do it with your life. When people see a difference in your life, they'll listen to your lips. But if they don't see a difference in your life, they're not going to listen to your lips. Amen? So we can bring healing to a lost and dying world as we share the gospel, spiritual healing. That's what salt does. Salt seasons, preserves, heals, irritates. That's the duty of salt. That's why salt is so important. It's important, folks, that we be what Jesus has saved us to be, that we accomplish the purpose he saved us to accomplish. Shall we see the duty of salt? Let's see the dissipation of salt. He says in verse number 13, watch this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Or what, what good is it? Is it then good for nothing but to be thrown and trampled under by foot of men? Now let me tell you, in that day, much of the salt that they got, they got from the Dead Sea. And what would sometimes happen in the Dead Sea, which has the most salt content of any body of water on the face of the earth, the sun would evaporate the water in the shallow places. And when the sun evaporated the water in the shallow places, then all of the salt where the water had been evaporated was also baked by the sun. And all of the seasoning properties, the good stuff that was in salt, was leached out by the sunlight and the evaporation. And so all that was left was not the purities, but the impurities, the things that you really didn't want. That was the salt laying there on that sun-baked ground. And so what they would do, they couldn't use that for table salt. It was poisonous. They couldn't put it in their well because it would poison the water. They couldn't do the thing that salt really is supposed to do because that salt had lost its saltiness. It had lost its flavor. And so Jesus said, it's good for nothing then but to be poured out under the foot of men. And that's exactly what they did in that day. You see the master teacher teaching like only he can. What they would do, they would take that salt they would, that was good for nothing, that had lost its saltiness, and they would go out and put it on a walking path. And when they put it on that walking path, it would set up just like concrete. And there was no grass that was going to grow in the path because salt kills the vegetation. There was nothing that was going to grow up and cause it to be where it couldn't be traveled because of that salt. So they would pack down underfoot all of the salt that had lost its flavor. That's the point Jesus is making. He says, if we as believers lose our saltiness and we are not fulfilling our purpose, then guess what happens? We become something for the world to walk on. I want to ask you something. When you look around and, listen up. I want you to look around, folks, this morning and just think about what's going on in the world that we live in. I can remember a time when the church was respected. Don't you? I can remember a time 
when the church was honored in this country. Now we are made the laughing stock of society. Now, if you look at the sitcoms that come on your television screen, the person who is portrayed as a blood-bought, born-again believer is, is portrayed as nothing more than a fool. You ever see it? I do. They portray them as some backwarded hick that don't got the sense enough to get it out of the way. Why? Is it because of what's happening in Hollywood? Well, guess what, folks? There's always been sin in Hollywood. That's nothing new. Is it because of what uh, is happening under bad leadership in Washington, D.C.? Folks, let me tell you something. There's always been questionable leadership in Washington, D.C. Is the salt being trampled underfoot because of what's happening in these big cities all over our nation, folks? There's always been sin in big and small cities all over this nation. Let me tell you why I believe the salt is being trampled underfoot. Just what Jesus said. If it's lost its saltiness, if it's lost its flavor, then it's good for nothing but to be trampled upon. We can't lay blame for what's happened at the church at everybody else's door. It must be laid at our door. Amen? The dissipation of salt. It's a sad thing. And we're in a sad state. I believe there's enough power to change the world. Don't you? I do. The Bible teaches that. We have God the Holy Spirit in us. And if we'll allow Him to work on us, work in us, and to work through us, we can accomplish the purpose of God and fulfill the purpose we've been saved to fulfill. We can, listen to me now, be the salt Jesus said we are. Amen? I want you to see the duty of salt, the dissipation of salt, but we also need to talk about the demand for salt. If there's ever been a time when we need it, it's right now. It's amazing to me how fast we've came to the place we are. In 1962, the Supreme Court of the United States of America banned prayer in schools. We said we don't want God being talked about or prayed to in our local schools. We took down the Ten Commandments, and like I said Wednesday night, even though the Ten Commandments won't keep you out of hell, it'll keep you out of jail. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to be put up in our local schools, and in our municipal buildings. Do you? It's not a bad thing. People need to know that God said, Thou shalt not kill. People need to know that God said, Thou shalt not lie. People need to know that God said a lot of things that we should and shouldn't do. Amen? But in 1962, they said, We don't want that anymore. In 1973, the Supreme Court of the United States of America adopted Roe versus Wade as law in this land, and now, because of that, over 60 million babies have been aborted. 60 million. Think about that just a moment. 
In the last 25 years, teenage suicide has grown 150%. I'm talking about kids between the ages of 13 and 19. Suicide grown 150%. That ought to break your heart. Sodomy in America has gone from a sin at one time that was sneered at to a sickness to now a society acceptable practice. Dr. J. Vernon McGee said that in the late 70s. It was true then, but it is certainly true now. Now, not only is homosexuality a society acceptable practice like he said, but it's also the popular thing to do. Even though it's popular, doesn't make it right. And even though it's socially acceptable, doesn't make it right. God says it's wrong and we need to stand on that. Now I'm not saying that we hate the sinner or isolate ourselves from the sinner. But I am saying that we shouldn't be corrupted by the sin. And we should stand on truth, speak it in love, and offer grace to the hearer. If there's ever been a demand for salt, it's now. Everybody stand together. I could go on and on talking to you about the problems we have and the things I'm against. But one of my favorite preachers on the face of the earth is a man by the name of Dr. Kevin Merritt. He said something to me one time that I'll never forget. He said, I would I love to hear what a man's against. You need to hear what a man's against. He said, but you tell me what I love more than that, I like to hear what he's for. <laughs> so I told you a little bit of what I'm against. Let me tell you what I'm for. I'm for Jesus. You would tell what this world needs. This world needs Jesus. You may tell you how this world's going to get him? By the salt of the earth. We need to be salty. Let's quit sitting around in our holy huddles in here and salt one another. Amen? Let's take what we know to be true from in here. See, all this is is a training ground. Do y'all know that? One thing that I used to have at, the, at a church I pastored before here, we got a big banner made, and we need to do the same, I want to do the same thing here. We had a big banner made to go over the back door, as you're walking out the back door, and, and that big banner said, you are now entering your mission field. That is so good, because that's true. A lot of times we think, man, we're going to Costa Rica, or we're going to this other place, or this place over here, and we're going to go on the mission field. Well, yeah, that's true, and God, I'm glad when God opens those doors. But guess what? Your mission field is in your home. Mama's with them babies. Your mission field is in your home, Daddy, with those babies. Your mission field is in your home. A husband with your spouse and wife with your spouse. It's in your home. It's in your workplace. Where lost people are. It's at the grocery store. You can and should be on mission every day as we are the salt of the earth. I don't want this to become a glorified salt shaker. Where we can come in here and say amen and shake hands and hug necks and say, man, it's been good to be in God's house, but we never take what we've learned and what we know to be true and the love of Christ, we never take it out there. If we don't do that... We can't accomplish our mission. Amen? So I encourage you. I challenge you. Take the love of Christ. 
the truth of the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit and bring it into the world you live in. Be that salt that seasons, preserves, heals, and yes, even irritates. It's needed right now more than ever. Amen? If you need the Lord, in any way, this is your invitation. If you need to be saved, then I want you to make that step of faith and come say, Brother I need to be saved. Now, again, walking this aisle don't save you. I certainly can't save you. But I'll tell you this, the same Jesus who has saved me can and will save you. And I want to share with you in the Word of God what that means. How that can happen for you today. For today is the day of salvation. If you're here and you already are a child of God, praise the Lord for that. Are you being salty? Are you? Well, if not, maybe you just want to come pray and ask God for leadership, guidance, direction daily. Maybe you want to pray that God would open doors at your workplace, at the grocery store, wherever you find people, so that you can share and show the love of Christ the truth of the Word of God. I believe in a good old-fashioned altar experience for us all. I'm going to tell you my life was changed in a good old-fashioned altar. So I'm asking today, if you need the Lord for anything, this invitation is for you. Won't you come?